Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Greetings to all of you planeswalkers and spellcasters throughout the multiverse. It is a wonderful time to have you join us here in the Unlucky Lounge for another episode of Draft and Draft. I am Corey, your denizen of this location, this establishment, and so excited because once more, it's Christmas time! That's absolutely right. Put on your elf ears and make that tinsel on your tree shine because it's that magical time when spoilers for the next upcoming magic set come at us swiftly be it on mtg salvation reddit the main page or any number of wonderful content creators out there and today we have all of the spoilers right here under our ikorian christmas tree and we are going to unwrap these goodies and get into some of the great cards that are going to be inside our sleeves and on top of our play mat real soon but before we get to that few bits of housekeeping this podcast as always, is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V, for great content around sports, culture. They're going to have so much entertainment for you to enjoy that you are going to have your earbuds filled up with some great sounds and great content. So check them out and download their stuff for free. Also, this podcast is always brought to you by all of you out there, my unlucky lounge rats, via our Twitter, our Patreon, on Instagram, wherever you find great magic content, we will be there. And just another moment to give thanks because tis the season. Thank you to all of my listeners for tuning in week after week to enjoy some great magic content here in the unlucky lounge. And some of you might be thinking, boy, that was a weird way to say magic. And you're right, it's because I'm too pent up with excitement over the new set. And so the Sorcerer's Broom is put back into the Conjurer's Closet. And now we're going to dig into some of the new things coming in the set of Ikoria. And we have them wrapped up nicely underneath our Ikorian Christmas tree. And we are going to unsheath these new coming mechanics, concepts, wonderful cards in a festive holiday spirit that can only be the Christmas spoiler season, Borok. When you're right, you're right, Borok. It's not time for talking anymore. It's time for unwrapping. Now, what do you think? Which one should we start off with? When you're right, you're right, my bear buddy. I say let's tackle that big present first. I gotta say, it's not small. I, I bet it's got some layers to it or something. Borak, you know you're literally drooling over me right now, right? Oh my gosh, Borak, look. It's Mutate. Uh, my unlucky lounge rats, this is the new creature mechanic for Ikoria. It's where you cast the creature for an alternative cost on its card, and then you get to choose whether it goes on top or on bottom of a creature on the battlefield. The top creature's power and toughness is the creature's overall power and toughness, while all the other layers maintain the text box. 
it's one of those things, Brock, where you get to combine all these creatures into one massively mutated kind of abomination. Okay, I didn't mean like an abomination in a bad way. It's just the creatures all meld together to create something completely new. I adore this mechanic. It's this really strange fusion of pulling in those text boxes and making something different. It's mechanical space that we haven't really explored before. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. This is a relatively vulnerable mechanic, very much like Aura, because if you destroy one part of the creature, everything gets destroyed. It opens you up for more two-for-one interactions. And of course, those kind of interactions are the things that are going to lose you the game. However, Wizards did a really smart design concept in that the creature gets additional value every time you mutate. So when you mutate it, it gets a re-trigger of the ability, and a lot of these abilities are really strong. No problem, it doesn't take that long to find a creature with a mutate ability that is straight value. Take for example, Necropanther. One black-white for a 3-3, three, three, but it has a mutate cost of two and two hybrid black-white. Now, if you just cast the card as per normal, it's a 3-3 three, three for 3. Not bad, but not ideal. But it has some additional text. Whenever this creature mutates, return target creature card with converted mana cost 3 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. This is an uncommon card. It's a 3-3 three, three for 3 that reanimates things. This is the magic of mutate. It's modal. It designs in spaces that typically are, well, reserved for higher rarities because of just how impactful they can be, while allowing the mutate mechanic to dictate interesting choices and opening you up for even more value. And you and I both know, Borak, I do love me some value. Oh no, Borak, I know you love big creatures and bodies, and... This mechanic has that for you too. Let me point you in the direction of a pretty strong blue-green creature known as Parcel Beast. It's two green-blue for a 2-4 with an activated ability. One colorless and tap it to look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield. If you don't, you put the card into your hand. Now, that's nothing really to write home about. However, it does have Mutate green blue this is an overstatted creature for two mana if you run consecutively with a creature curve a two four for two is well over the statted body line and it's also going to bring some additional value to playing your early creature drops i mean borak i know you love a good creature curve i know you do buddy and with this set we're going to be incentivized to play all of our important one-drops because it makes those mutate creatures with the oversatted bodies even more pungent. Let me direct your attention to a darling of a creature, this creature known as Almighty Brushwag. It's one green mana for a 1-1 one -one with trample and an activated ability of three colorless and a green to give Almighty Brushwag plus three plus three until end of turn. Think about this. When you mutate onto this creature, 
it retains that full text box, activated ability, trample, and all, and then you put it on something else, like say that 2-4 for 2, suddenly you got a creature that's swinging way above its pay rate while still getting us extra value and allowing you to tap sideways and get into the red zone. I mean, Borak, you gotta love something like that. Come on, don't be skeptical. Let me draw your attention to some more big creature goodness. A little something known as Cloud Piercer. Four colorless and a red for a 5-4 with reach. It's got a mutate cost as well. Three and a red. Think about that. This is a 5-4 for four mana when you go into your mutate creature curve. But on top of that, when this creature mutates, you discard a card and draw a card. And think about on top of all of this, when that mutates onto a pre-existing creature, this creature has haste essentially. So you get to tap sideways with a 5-4 straight away on turn 4. You can't argue with that. Yes, Borok, I do agree. I thought that was quite astute. So my unlucky lounge rats, this to me is the mechanic of the best of both worlds. On the good wheat side, like the adult in me, it's got the nuts and bolts to it. It's got big creatures tapping sideways and attacking often above the curve. While on the sweet side, all these built-in mutate mechanics are allowing us to reach our value further because it is a bit of a one-two mechanic. You have to prioritize having creatures on the battlefield. And the good news is in this set, it's really building in additional value for creatures on the battlefield. We talked about the brushwag before that really enhances your mutation, but we also have another card. A card that is somewhat unassuming, but I got a feeling is going to be a real role player in these mutate type of limited decks. A card known as Garrison Cat, 1 white for a 1-1. One, one. When Garrison Cat dies, create a 1-1 one, one white human soldier creature token. This is going to come into play so strongly because it's going to mitigate a bit of your loss. When your opponent deals with your mutated creature, it leaves behind something else for the further mutate cards in your hand to gain additional value. It's a smart design by Watsi, and I look forward to drafting kitties to mutate onto. Okay, Borok, we can move away from the mutate present. Why don't we go ahead and... You are already opening up the next one. Um, excuse me, I did not take long. I think I spent a sufficient amount of time on mutate. It's quite complicated. Whatever, dude. Just Oh my gosh, look at that. You opened the human and non-human synergies. Now, Borok, don't be too underwhelmed by this. I know it's not as flashy of a mechanic. It might be the socks under the Christmas tree. However, I think there's a lot more here than what meets the first eye. First off, contrast it with under a year ago's release of Throne of Eldraine. The humans and non-human synergies is now playing into it in a different way. The humans and non-humans are cooperating to work together. There's a series of different spells that actually work better when you have both a human and a non-human. Take a look at that divination. It's two and a blue, but if you control a human and a non-human, it costs two colorless less to cast. That's one blue to draw two cards. It's like near a call level with just a little bit of setup. Not 
a call level, but the excitement is there nonetheless. But once more, Borok, it's not just about dirtling and drawing cards. Take a look at the instant fight as one. One white for an instant, choose one or both. Target human gets plus one plus one indestructible, or target non-human gets plus one plus one and indestructible. This is a card that we're going to draft, get into combat with, and make huge swings. You get to attack, I get to get value, we are fighting as one. You see what I did there? I'm telling you, everyone's a critic. But not to belabor the point too much, the human-non-human synergy cards, the ones that really play off well when they work together, I think they're going to lead to some pretty big gameplay elements. I think you can really focus on when you have those zoned in, and a lot of them look like they're focused in the black-white, green-white synergy kind of build package. And it plays along nicely with the concept of companion, the card that starts off exiled, and then you can play it if you meet a certain deck-building requirement. The wonderful motif of humans and animals either working together or opposed against each other in the set is going to give it a nice hue and a nice flavor. And speaking of companion as well, it's not going to come up too often. I mean, it is a rare cycle, but I do believe that when it comes to that companion card, depending on when you open it or when you see it, it's going to lead us to creating some different types of mechanical decks. These clauses, the deck building requirements, are going to really stretch our imagination for how we construct these decks. And in kind of a fun way, I've talked about this before, but when you go from playing set to set over and over again, the texture of the decks, they start to look quite similar. And the addition of the companion mechanic, exclusive to the limited environment, is going to cause us to think outside of the box and go back to that jazz-like feel that we always talk about here in Draft and Draft with the concept of sealed play and drafting as well. All in all, I look forward to the companion mechanic, trying to stretch my drafting skills to make them fit as the proper companion mechanic, but I think that these effects are so strong that they can comfortably end up in your 40 card deck even if you don't quite get there. So that's enough talking about the rare cycle, let's get back to our bread and butter, our nuts and bolts, our mechanics of Ikoria. Borak, since you didn't like the last present, why don't you open up the next one too? Oh boy, oh boy, what could it be, what could it be? Whoa! Look Borak, it's cycling! It's back! Oh come on Borak, cycling is totally not a meh thing. Now for those of you out there who have yet to experience the glories of cycling, it's one of the more flexible mechanics that exists in the game. It's a cost that appears on a card, where instead of paying the cost of the card itself in the converted mana cost, instead you can discard the card for that cost to draw a card. This is particularly strong when you put it on creatures that can have lower impacts later in the game. Take for example the unassuming 2-drop. You give it cycling, and suddenly later on, it could cycle away into something way stronger. Now personally, I've never actually played with a cycling mechanic in Limited. Unfortunately, my schedules just never lined up exactly right. I got to do some land cycling in our Devastation, which felt quite good. But now, in Ikoria, the payoffs 
are everywhere. There are cycling payoffs in rare, uncommon, and particularly a special little hit that I see at common. It's a two drop known as Dranith Stinger. One in a red for a 2-2. Whenever you cycle another card, Dranith Stinger deals one damage to each opponent and itself has cycling one. Borok, it's a bear with extra damage utility and whenever you get rid of your useless cards, you get to draw better cards and deal damage. That is everything that you love. I will take that as silent resignation. But there's more to it than just that. We've got some wonderful uncommon payoffs in the cycling as well. Take for example, Flourishing Fox. One white for a creature fox, 1-1. One, one. Whenever you cycle a card, you put a counter on Flourishing Fox. In itself, it also has cycling. This card is a perfect allusion back to the mutate mechanic that we talked about earlier. When these creatures mutate, they retain all of the counters that it had previous to when it was the last creature. So by this card, you can play into multiple of the different ways that this limited format is already looking like are going to be the strongest deck building archetypes in draft and sealed. You start off with Flourishing Fox, cycle away a few cards, mutate onto it something massive, and it already has the previous counters of the Flourishing Fox with the body of the new creature. It's all building up to make sure things have this wonderful kind of smooth chugging engine. A card like this is going to be a great payoff for no matter where you build your deck into. And truthfully, when we notice cards like this at the forefront of what the format is trying to do, that's how we can get ourselves a little edge when we sit down at a draft table. But there's some other cards I think that have this wonderful overlap. It is an uncommon cycle payoff known as Valiant Rescuer. One white for a 3-1. Whenever you cycle a card, you make a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. This itself has cycling of 2. Now, while it doesn't work well with the mutate mechanic because it is making human creature tokens, you can't mutate onto human creature tokens, it is playing into another sub-theme of the set. I always like to keep my eye out on the Boros mechanics, and truthfully, I think that there's going to be some pretty strong go-wide strategies in the color pairing of red-white. There's already a mutate creature, a lynx, that when you mutate onto it, your creatures get plus X, plus X, where X is the number of times the creature has mutated. For me, this great dissonance between building up a large mutate creature along with a wide board is going to create for a different feel for those Boros-type decks, something that I think is always good to keep an eye out on. But we also have some other really great Boros payoffs that go wide. Take, for example, the two-drop Forbidden Friendship. You make a 1-1 red dinosaur creature with haste and a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. You're going wide with Boros, you're playing into the human, non-human theme, and it's cards like this that get me excited, where we can really play strongly into these different types of strategies. But the real piece de resistance, while I'm talking about going wide, is a little something known as Regal Leosaur. It's a dinosaur cat, it's a 2-2 for Boros. When this creature mutates, other creatures you control get plus two, plus one until end of turn, and it mutates for three mana. Going wide is going to be a thing, folks. It's going to be strong, it's going to be scary, and just like all the other mutating that we've talked about before, 
it's going to play into something that is going to go off a little bit. But we started all this by talking about cycling, and then we went a little bit wide. Pardon the pun. I think that one thing we are going to want to keep an eye out on is the number of cycling cards that are going to end up in our deck. This is going to allow us to ask the question of, are these cycling payoffs worth it? But when it comes to drafting the deck, we should know that these cycling costs from what we're seeing so far are mostly exclusively colorless. We can take off-color cycling cards if it plays into the number of payoffs that we have. You can take your payoffs early and then draft off-color cycling cards to trigger these payoffs. There's an Astral Slide variant. There is a Lightning Helix variant. There are rare variants that people only with really strong dedicated cycling decks are probably going to want to play. These are things I think by isolating early we can get some strong payoff in. That's enough on cycling going wide. Man, we went off on a tangent. Sorry about that, Borok. But I did get one more present, and this one is from me to you, buddy. That's right, Borok. A whole new set of shiny dice. And I'll tell you what, we are going to need them because counters play a major role in Ikoria, and I'm not just talking about plus one plus one counters, which we are getting. No, instead, we are getting ourselves something known as keyword counters. That's right. Mystery boosters, playtest cards come back again and in a big way. In this set, we are going to be putting different, weird, strange types of counters on our creatures. But they're relatively intuitive. And we can find ourselves a great example of this in the key common black removal spell known as Blood Curdle. Three and a black for an instant speed destroyed target creature card. But wait, there's more. You put a menace counter on a creature you control. So if you just use that base intuition, you can see that this Blood Curdle card gives one of your creatures menace and gives it to them in counter form. Now go back to what we said about mutate. Those counters lay over when a creature gets mutated onto. So now we've got all these keyword counters playing along with the plus one plus one counters to help us forge these great large beasts. And it's not just on spells like this. No, there's actually a wonderful cycle of cards that actually have cycling to them that give keyword counters. Let's take, for example, one of my favorite from Red. It is a creature known as Sanctuary Smasher. It is four cardless red red for a rhino beast creature. It's a six fourth burst strike. However, it has cycling two and a red. When you cycle Sanctuary Smasher, you put a burst strike counter onto target creature you control. We can see how these keyword counters all of a sudden make these large creatures we are going to form into something that is investable over time. And with that cycling mechanic in play, you get to draw the card, give first strike, potentially a combat trick on top of it, and keep growing those big, massive creatures that we are going to be making in this set. I love the idea of keyword counters. 
They certainly have some complex rule interactions with previous established mechanics, and certainly when we get to those points, it's going to be a little overwhelming. However, for the limited environment, I think it's a slam dunk. Being able to put these little extra additional increments onto cards are going to open up design space for R&D and do so in a way that I think is relatively intuitive to most of the player base. In fact, keyword counters is what I'm going to put on the hot list for potential French vanilla flavoring in core sets and future expansions. I love this and Borak, we're going to need those dice to help us keep track of some of these crazy large things. Oh my gosh, you got me something too. What could it be? I, it could be any... Oh, wow. It's one of those big, large, metal commemorative coins I put on top of my deck. Why, this would be perfect for Ikoria, especially because we are going to have this really cool, uncommon cycle of hybrid multicolor cards that are going to play into classic mechanics. Let me give you an example of one, all my unlucky lounge rats. Something known as Sonorous Howlbonder. One with two Rakdos hybrid mana for a 2-2 with Menace, and has the text, each creature you control with Menace can't be blocked except by three or more creatures. It expands the value of the mechanics that we have always had. And it doesn't just stop there. There's another one called Alert Heed Bonder. Same cost, but instead of Rakdos, it's Selesnya. So one and two Selesnya hybrid mana for a 2-4 with Vigilance. At the beginning of your end step, you gain one life for each creature you control with Vigilance. These are so cool. You can fit them into all of these classic cards that have existed and further expand what they can do in their mechanical overlays. And of course, as we talked about this, combine this with the counters and your massive mutated creatures that you're going to be making, and you've got yourselves a pretty powerful haymaker lining up for the future limited sets. Borak, thank you so much. Well, folks, it's been quite the exciting Christmas season, and truthfully, the spoilers, they keep rolling in every day. I can't wait to see what other kind of goodies are going to be joining us in the plane of Ikoria really soon. But let me give you just some overall thoughts of what I see coming for us in this world of behemoths. Certainly, as we said, we are going to be making these crazy big creatures, and that along with the contrast between non-humans and humans is going to play for this really interesting dynamic. Not just flavorfully, but I also think mechanically when it comes to drafting and building together sealed pools. Remember, that mutate mechanic can only be mutated onto non-human creatures. It's going to catch us quite a bit, and I think the arena overlay is going to help us make sure that we don't see these misplays. But when it comes to paper magic, you gotta keep a vigilant eye on that. But in regards to that mutate mechanic, I think that the value of really using those text boxes as a way of creating new and different types of creatures is going to make this format feel fresh and new long after it's been released. What kind of weird creatures can you put together? What two mechanics when you mutate create this massive explosion of effects? And the inclusion of the cycling mechanic as well, 
is going to help us dig to these really wonderful interactions. Now, I'll be curious to see, especially since we've got a lot of the wedge color pie going on here, how the fixing is going to look. We've already got ourselves a monolith cycle that can be cycled away for each of the five wedges, but is that going to be enough to help us support these multicolored decks? What kind of large things are going to be coming out in this Ikorian plane? Well, as always, my unlucky lounge rats, I send it over to you. What are your thoughts in regards to this plane? Are we going to be seeing these crazy interactions? Is the go-wide aggressive creature strategies going to be what comes through? Maybe the human synergies that I didn't even talk about might be what wins the day. We have no idea, but I would love to know what you think. Find me on Twitter at Draft and Draft Corey. You can find me at Patreon at Draft and Draft and MTG Podcasts. And of course, stay tuned for some more Draft and Draft Unlucky Lounge fun in the coming weeks. We got plenty more iCory to talk about, and we look forward to sitting back with a nice drink and enjoying it together. Well, it looks like after this very special Ikorian Christmas celebration, we're going to have to pull out that sorcerer's broom once more and sweep up all of our wrappings. So, until next time, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you back here in the Unlucky Lounge for another episode of Draft and Draft. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.